Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Go to harrys.com slash fool. It's Wednesday, November 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week, who will be back in the saddle tomorrow. But joining me in studio, we've got David Kretzman and Aaron Bush from Motley Fool Supernova and Rule Breakers. Guys, welcome. Hey, Matt. Thank you. Okay, guys. Lots to talk about. Bitcoin getting what appears to be a stamp of approval. And so y'all are going to kind of talk me through that and and help demystify Bitcoin, because I confess I'm a bit of a skeptic. Um, And I also want to talk about Target, because Target's having a rough, rough day. But Aaron, let's start with one of the world's 10 most valuable companies. Do I got you interested? Oh, I'm interested. Okay. What well, is it? Okay. Well, that that's just it. It's not a household name, at least in the U.S. for a lot of people. Tencent, the Chinese internet giant, reporting a 69% jump in its quarterly net profit, blowing past expectations thanks to strong growth in its smartphone games and payment services. Now, Aaron, I know you're a Tencent shareholder, so I've got to ask, what do you think? I'm resisting the urge to ask for your two cents on Tencent because that, that is <laughs> oh, Mac. No, that is beneath the dignity of the show. So what do you think of Tencent? Well, who said big companies can't grow? Because Tencent is proving all of those doubters wrong. I mean, this is a company this quarter, it grew revenue 61% year over year. It grew net profit 55% year over year. And it's not a one-trick pony. So it's doing a lot of good in a lot of different ways. It's gaming business, which is the largest piece of the business. And it happens to be the largest gaming company in the world, by the way. Um, it's on fire, especially their mobile games. It's up over 80% year over year. So taking share, making a lot of money there. And they also happen to have pretty much a monopoly on social media in China through WeChat. And this quarter, they reported now 980 million monthly active users, so almost tipping Which the is billion. A lot. That's that's quite a few. Good people. amount. <laughs> Good amount. <laughs> um, and and that's just a phenomenal business because they actually don't make that much money on advertising. They make more money from transactions that go throughout the platform. And as more people spend money in more different ways, um, WeChat becomes both more relevant through merchants, um, but also it takes a larger cut of all the things that go through it. So there's there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot to like. David, what do you think? Uh, yeah, an incredible company. Uh, going off of what Aaron said, Tencent has just 14% market share in mobile advertising, so there's still room for them to grow that, considering that they control 55% of all mobile internet traffic in China, and WeChat alone accounts for about 30% or so of all mobile traffic in China. So just the the scale that they have with WeChat, let alone uh, their their video game business. And then they have so many other investments in Tesla, JD.com, a big e-commerce player in China. Uh, I think Flipkart? or Flipkart. Flipkart yeah, e-commerce company snapped. in India. Yeah, yeah. so th- they have their hands in so many different pieces here. The company's just generating an, an insane amount of cash. I'd say that the main risk that sticks out to me with Tencent, I think they have a solid competitive position, but at last month uh, th- there were discussions that Beijing was interested in uh, you know, the government taking a stake in Tencent and some of the other Uh-oh. big tech Uh-oh. companies in China and potentially having their hands in some of the decisions going on at the company. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. I, I think uh, that that's a similar risk to what we see being discussed more and more here in the U.S. with the big tech giants, where 
you know, more more uh, politicians and regulators are talking, you know, whispering the word monopoly or talking about do we need to regulate some of these big tech players? I think there's similar risks there in China for for Tencent and some of the other big players. So if the government actually does go that route where they start to treat Tencent like, you know, a state-owned utility or monopoly, then then I might get a little less excited. What about that, Aaron? How worried are you about the government regulation? I think it's important to look at. It's kind of funny because essentially what the government would be doing is say, "Hey, we're going to advise you, and we're gonna ask you pay us a fee for for us advising you." Oh, and you don't get any say in that, by the way. Um, so I do think that is a potential risk. But um, for the most part, I actually think regulation works to the favor of someone like Tencent because. Regulation is why Facebook isn't in China. It's why Google isn't in China. And it's basically giving a company like this just free reign to dominate. Um, and so I do think that there might be some risk of the government just kind of nitpicking some policies here and there. But for the most part, that's actually been the fuel to their fire. So you mentioned Facebook and Google. I want to talk market caps in terms of what these companies are worth, just to put it in a relative context. So right now, at the time of this taping, Tencent worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $464 billion. Facebook, $515 billion. Amazon, $541 billion. Alphabet, aka Google, $714 billion, and of course, Apple, the leader in the clubhouse, $871 billion. How much bigger do you think Tencent can be? Well, that's, that's kind of tough to say. Um, I, I do think that Tencent might have the opportunity to become bigger than maybe the likes of Facebook or Alphabet, um, simply because it does more things. It, it does dominate social media, and um, uh, that's that's important, but also just because it also is a giant entertainment company through games. It is a giant player in social media, and it it's been more aggressive in investing in so many different players that um, I think that's a really powerful position to be in, especially in China and and that Asian region in general. Just because if they can scoop up a lot of the the growing community of new startups, then that puts them sort of in an unstoppable position where they can win no matter what. And I think that that can keep their trajectory going for a really long time. I would not be surprised at all if this becomes a well over a trillion dollar company. Okay, well, let's switch gears here and talk about a company that is nowhere close to a trillion dollars. Target. Target. A rough, rough (laughs) day for Target on Wednesday. David, at first glance, this looks like a good report. You've got better than expected earnings, same store sales, um, better than expected. And Target raising its outlook for the for the full year, so that's all good, right? But investors hung up on this fourth quarter forecast, the holiday forecast, which came in much lower than what was expected. Yeah, I, I mean, it, obviously a tough environment for for retailers here in the U.S. And Target, though, I think they are doing everything that they should be doing. They're testing a lot of different things, and I think the question is, can some of these new initiatives grab hold? soon enough to really become a meaningful growth driver uh, for the company and kind of stabilize some of these results. But they did see you know, uh, same-store sales and traffic tick up just slightly this quarter, so at least it's not dropping. <laughs> uh, th- their digital sales were up 24%. And 
And they're, they're, like I said, they're testing a lot of different things, especially around uh, digital, uh, uh, just co- convenient different options for customers. So they, they have ship from store uh, in, in 1,400 locations. So essentially where you can buy something online, they'll ship it from your local store. So that uh, should theoretically make it easier uh, for them to ro- roll out same day or next day delivery, just making it more convenient for, for customers. They're remodeling uh, hundreds of stores right now. They're planning to remodel another 325 or so next year. And when they do remodel the stores, they see sales accelerate about 2 to 4%. So, so far, that seems to be on track. But again, how quickly can they do that? And can they uh, ensure that uh, those remodels do continue driving those returns? Then some of the other initiatives are testing uh, drive up, where you just essentially drive up to the store. Your, uh, your, anything you ordered there is ready for you. You just pick up. You've already paid online or something. So... I think if you're not a, a destination retailer, if you don't really have a very dynamic experience within the stores, you need to find ways to get closer to customers and just make it so convenient for them uh, where they can continue to, to come back and make repeat purchases. So I like the fact that they're making, uh, they're, they're testing a lot of different things here, but a lot of these tests are still just isolated in a few stores, in a few markets. Uh, and uh, it, it'll, it'll be something to watch. But in, in the meantime, yeah, the the quarter-to-quarter numbers for for the company could still be uh, mediocre. Aaron? Survival can be expensive sometimes, especially (laughs) when you have to change a lot. All of those tests are good. They're they're really needed, in my opinion, but the cost of that can add up. I mean, you see sales are relatively flat up a little bit, but their profits were down about 20% this quarter. Um, And so, that mainly is a result of, well, we have to compete on lower prices against Walmart and Amazon. Well, we got to raise wages because that's the whole minimum wage. Wages are rising, and we have to compete with that, and that's a pinch. And then, anytime you're trying to to compete online when you're not a native online business, you're you're duplicating a lot of your investments just to retain the same customer, and so that can get expensive. I do think that Target has done a pretty decent job adapting so far, but it's just a really tough spot to be in. And when you see the results, like they're holding steady, the business is holding steady on the top, but they're they're paying for that to happen. Guys, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks again to Harry's for, for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. Now, I love shaving with Harry's. The razor, the blades, the shave gel. Guys, how great do you feel after a close shave? Nothing like pretty it. Pretty good. Nothing. Pretty good. Very good. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. There we go. Well, Harry's will give you that excellent shave. Harry's is so confident you'll love their blades, they're giving you their trial set for free. You just cover the $3 shipping. That's right. $3 for a free trial and a smooth, excellent face. Excellent, Aaron. So stop messing around with whatever you're shaving with. You've got one face and you want to treat it right. Get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial set. That includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, and you get rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. That's a $13 value for free. You just cover shipping. Go to harrys.com fool. That's harrys.com fool. And guys, let's talk Square. Shares of Square up big on Wednesday after the digital payment company said that it's adding a Bitcoin buying option to its money transfer service. Aaron... I confess to not really understanding Bitcoin. I don't think I'm alone, um, but I am a Square shareholder, and this seems like a stamp of approval for Bitcoin. So, what does this deal mean for Square, and what does it mean for Bitcoin? Right. So, 
I think Square has had the option for the the POS system where merchants can accept Bitcoin. So this is different from that. This is more specific where they're with their Square Cash app, which is a competitor to Venmo, essentially where it, where I can send David money, David can send me money, and now they're making the option. Well. Maybe we can send each other Bitcoin, or maybe it might just be easier for me to buy or sell Bitcoin on that on that particular app, just because it might be more difficult to to buy it and store it elsewhere. So that's so that's really what they're what they're doing here, and it definitely is a stamp of approval for Bitcoin. I think Jack Dorsey, the CEO, has been um, pro cryptocurrency, pro blockchain for a really long time. So he he sees the benefit of what this does for technology. Um, so I think this has been in the back of his mind for a while, but this really is um, maybe the first or second step Square has taken to make it um, available or applicable to the average consumer or the average user. And so um, I don't know how much this really moves the needle, but it's just a way for them to stand out and do something different from someone like Venmo. And I think this might be not as widely known, but the Square Cash app has actually bypassed Venmo recently in terms of downloads on both Apple and Android. So this is I think this is just a way to make sure that they can secure that lead and take even more market share. But is it fair to say, because I know you're a Square shareholder, Given the two, if if I just spot you up with these two options, you can invest in Bitcoin or you can invest in Square. You're more bullish on Square. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's really tough. Um, I think if you invest in Bitcoin, you got to be willing to lose all of your money. Okay, but I do I, I'm think, not, by the way. But thank you. <laughs> but but the upside for Bitcoin is potentially significantly larger if it does take hold. Square, you're not going to lose all of your money. Probably, uh, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> very, not. very, very unlikely. Um, but I, I do think it has tremendous upside. But it won't be as extreme as something like Bitcoin. Personally, I would be more willing to invest in something like Bitcoin, which might make some people be like, "What? Like, that doesn't make sense." But I do think that what Bitcoin is doing is so groundbreaking that even though. Um, the odds of failure are significantly higher. The chance that you're getting in closer to the ground floor of a humongous movement, I think that that is enticing and worth a small position. David, I, I I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around this. Like hearing Aaron, uh, you know, as he's learned more about it, definitely helps. Uh, he 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 helps make it more digestible and understandable and relatable, but. With with Bitcoin, the thing I have a hard time wrapping my mind around is I feel like a lot of people describe it as a store of value. So it's almost like becoming a digital version of gold, where especially right now, where it seems like everyone, a lot of people who are buying it, at least all these financial bloggers who are <laughs> jumping on the Bitcoin train and crypto train, they're they're buying it with the anticipation that it'll become more valuable. They're treating it as an investment. So they think, okay, five years down the road, maybe I'll be able to sell my one Bitcoin. For a hundred thousand dollars a Bitcoin, uh, up from whatever it is today, like seventy-two hundred. If, if that's the case, if that's how you're treating it, it would make no sense to use it as a currency. Because why? Why would you give away something, you know, to, to buy an apple <laughs> when uh, you, you expect that currency, that that Bitcoin, to become ten times more valuable in a few years? So that, that's why I don't think this particular announcement necessarily will drive a whole lot for Bitcoin. But I mean, I, I I can't pretend to know a whole lot about it. Then there's all these things like forking and all these 
kind of subsets of Bitcoin. So maybe this plays into that. But I don't know. For, for me, I, I still toss this into the too hard category as an investment. I think if you do invest in Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency, you keep it as a small portion of your net worth that you're willing to lose everything, like Aaron mentioned. You know, what worries me, and 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 I'm with you on the too hard to understand category, but I was walking the dog recently, and a neighbor came up to me and presented me with this, this opportunity, in quotes, air quotes, to invest in this new initial coin offering oh, that he was part of. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. Based, oh. based in Europe. And, and then he starts talking to me about blockchain technology and all of that. And I'm walking the dogs. And so, first of all, don't ever approach someone with like a business deal when they're walking their dogs. That's just <laughs> wrong. That's like a sacred space. You know, our dogs have various issues that I will not go into, but you can't, you've got to focus on the dogs when you're walking them. That's all I'll say. You have to focus on the dogs. And he's hitting me with this ICO stuff. And, and I know, I know that's probably not fair to Bitcoin, but when people, Start like presenting you with these can't miss investing opportunities. It makes me a little worried in terms of the hype cycle. It just seems reminiscent of you know the heyday of the the dot com era where everyone was talking about you know the new dot com or tech stock. Uh, yeah, my my feeling with this is that I think there is a lot of potential with the underlying technology. Like I mean, just about everyone will say like you know uh, it, it's not necessarily that one or two coins will win out, but the underlying b- blockchain technology there's something there and. I, that, that that tends to be the line of reasoning I uh, subscribe to also at this point, but yeah, with with the ICOs, uh, I, I just haven't seen a lot of like uh, sustainable value driven from that. Like I don't know what, when you buy an ICO, what what you actually get because you're yeah. not getting a stake in that company. It's often companies that haven't even launched a product yet. So I think that's probably even riskier than buying Bitcoin itself. But again, the, a lot of this is still over my head, so I can't pretend to, to be an expert. Okay, so let's wrap up. I want to present you with my typical, arbitrary, shameless, incredibly unfair desert island question. But we've got three stocks we've talked about in terms of publicly traded companies. Square, Target, Tencent. Over the next five years, you can only buy one of those three stocks. What are you buying? Ooh, I'm gonna go Square. Actually, it's a good choice. Okay, David. Uh, I'll I'll go the the conservative route and go with Tencent. I think I I feel pretty confident that Tencent will still be around <laughs> five years from now. <laughs> I think especially if the government takes a stake, then they'll be even more motivated to to keep the company around, and uh, they have their hands in so many different areas. So why not? I think they could be bigger. Or you could not live on a desert island and own more than one. That's so. no fun. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I own Tencent and Square. Okay, just good point. Disclosure. Not so. good Target. point. I know that was. I was maybe I, one day. Yeah. It was an unfair question. It was a shameless <laughs> question. Okay, duly noted. Well, guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Mac. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.